Well, welcome to Gateway Taze Valley today. Good to have you here. Uh, Brian is not here. He's preaching in uh, St. Albans today. So this is what you got. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, if I knew you were going to clap, I would have prepared something. <laughs> oh, well, this is Super Bowl Sunday. Going to be a great day. Anybody have their Who Day lattes today? No? No? Ready for one? Ready for one? I thought we'd see more game jerseys. Rick, you're looking fine out there. It re- this reminds me, I had a wedding in St. Albans a few years ago. And uh, the couple, they, they were football nuts. And the bride's gown was an Oakland Raiders jersey. And the groom wore a Pittsburgh Steeler jersey. And the, the, the aisle, the runner, was astroturf, marked off in yards. There were yard markers. and It was just the neatest thing. The candelabra, there was no candelabra. It was a goalpost. It really was. I wore a referee shirt, and I had a whistle. I had a whistle. I think that marriage... Uh, let's move on from that. <laughs> but I mentioned this in the first service. Again, my, my referee shirt was striped. I really didn't care for that because it made me look too thin. Made me look too thin. Talking to Jay uh, to Templeton after the first service, he said he remembered that shirt. It only had two stripes. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Glad you're here. But also... This is the day before Thanksgiving. Goodness. It's the day before something. It's the day before, it's the day before Valentine's Day. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Honey, you've got your iron. What more could you want? She, she really did. But uh, guys, I tell you, and, and ladies too, if, if your special someone happens to say, I really, you don't need to get me anything. I know you love me. You don't have to spend money. I don't need anything material to, to prove that you love me. I know you love me, and that, that's all I need. Well, there was a guy that, a true story, a guy named Mark that thought that very thing, thought she really didn't want anything. So he didn't get her anything. He was talking to her on Valentine's Day. He was working. He worked at a... Uh, a lawnmower distribution center, a parts distribution center for lawnmowers. And he was talking to her on the phone, on, this was on Valentine's Day, and all of a sudden he knew he had made a mistake, he had miscommunicated something, that she really did want something. And so he was at work and he had a dilemma because the stores would be closed by the time he got off work. He got creative. Again, this is a lawnmower parts distribution warehouse. And so he thought, this is what I'm going to do. He got his scissors, he got his tape, and he went through some trade journals. He found some lawnmower pictures and he cut those things out. He taped them in the card and he gave her this great card and he wrote in it, I lawn for you, mower and mower each day. So if she says to you, I really don't need anything, I, you know, I know you love me, you don't have to get me anything, all I've got to say is, 
I lawn you mower and mower. Every lawn for you, mower and mower each day. But his wife loved the card. She put it on the refrigerator, and that was the neatest thing. So anyway, that's what's going on. Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day tomorrow. Uh, I think we're having turkey and dressing for our... Uh, but last week, we got off to a start on our series, our new series, Pray for One. It's a great series, and last week, Brian challenged us with Christ's remarks from the Sermon on the Mount, that famous sermon on how we're to deal with those that are in our world, the people that we love, the people that don't love us, our enemies, how we're to love and relate to them, and, uh, and uh, pray for everyone. That's, that, that, that was the message from last week, how we deal with the people that we don't always get along with the people that maybe are hard to love, hard to care for. Pray for everyone was the message last week. Today, we're beginning the second message in our series, Pray for One. And we've titled it, Pray for Anyone. And by anyone, pray for anyone, we mean pray for any person who might come across your path on any day, at any time, in any given situation. And we often, often overlook these countless opportunities to be a blessing to others because we're busy going somewhere. We're on our way to somewhere else. We're trying to get something accomplished. We're trying to get to the destination. And when we're interrupted in this journey or in this process, we get interrupted and we fail to realize possibly that that may be the very person that God wants us to help that day. We're so task-driven, agenda-focused, got our itinerary going, that we forget to acknowledge the people. We fail to acknowledge the people that we meet along the way. And maybe we don't even meet them, but we intersect them. And so for you and I, as we follow the tenets of the gospel, and we want to get somewhere with the message for Christ, I think we have to admit that we could do a lot better in seeing people along the way. Many of the people that we deal with, and a lot of people, are like teenage boys. They, they live in kind of like clamshells. They're all closed off. They open up a little bit. Once in a while, they'll open up to get a little nourishment or to expel some dirt but then they clam up tight again. And if you're going to see anything beautiful, you've got to be there when they're open. And that's the way it is with the people around us. When they're, when they're open, we see them and we can find something beautiful to give them something even better. God wants us to make a difference in the world. Starting with the world around us. And there's no way to do that unless we're with intention and purpose trying to share the gospel with the everybodies that we meet along the way. Pray for anyone means to slow down and notice the people that God puts in your path. It means, it means to be intentional about each individual, about anyone, uppercase anyone, with whom your life overlaps throughout the day. So just take a moment and say a prayer for that person. Not an hour, not not. 30 minutes, but just take a moment and stand in the gap for him or her. For the anyone's that your life bumps into. It could be the pharmacy tech at Walmart or the, the young lady behind the cashier's shield at Sheets. The person that has the office next to you. 
Maybe it's the new kid at school that's sitting all by himself or herself. Or that new family that moved on the block. It could be just anyone with whom your life comes in contact. And no one needs to know you're doing it. They may not know you're doing it. But just take a few moments. A second. Say a kind word. Offer a smile. Share some encouragement. Share some food. Share a prayer. And if you have the opportunity, just ask them how you can pray for them today. And I think we'll find out if we're intentional about that. I think we'll find that the world is anxious and hungry for this kind of interaction. We read it in our focus verse, and I love that. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul said this, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Take advantage of every opportunity. You want to know someone who did that? We're in church, and I guess if you were to guess, you would probably guess Jesus. And that's exactly who we're going to look at today. From two chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 8 and 9, we're going to look at example after example after example how Jesus was going somewhere or in the middle of something and he was interrupted and blessed that interruption. They became a source of unexpected blessing to these people and we're going to call these anyone moments. We'll call them anyone moments. The first we find is in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 2, he was coming down from the hillside after delivering that great sermon on the mount, and he bumps into a leper, figuratively bumps into a leper, and the leper interrupts his journey, and this is what he says in verse 3, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus basically said, you bet I will be clean. Three verses later, he was going into Capernaum to the house of Simon Peter, and all along, along the way, a Roman centurion stops him. And this is what it says in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came up to him asking for help. And the result of this interruption was remote healing for a servant. At the end of this chapter, in Matthew 28, verse, I'm sorry, Matthew 8, verse 28, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs, met him. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. And the result of this interruption were these two demon-possessed men had the demons cast out and into a herd of pigs. And you're probably familiar with that story. That's just from one chapter. Let's turn the page into Matthew, the ninth chapter. And here we have a story that Luke also records in the fifth chapter. And in Luke's reference, he says, Jesus is teaching. He's making a point. And in the middle of his message, while he's making a point, something's happening up on the roof. And there's some guys that have ripped off the shingles and maybe widened the rafters, dug through the sheetrock and the wiring, and they're lowering a paralyzed friend into the very presence of Jesus. And I'm thinking, you may not be able to tell it, but I've spent some time preparing this message. I don't want any interruptions. And if I heard some guys or saw some guys with insulation dropping through the holes, I'm thinking, 
I'm making a point here, guys. Give me five or give me ten. Let me wrap this up and then do what you want. But Jesus, making a point, didn't see the interruption. He saw that this man, he wasn't interrupting the message. He was the message. He was the message. And the result of that, here is a man who couldn't walk. And now, for all the world to see, he could walk. Another anyone moment, just a few verses later, just a few verses later, as Jesus was leaving this house that now had the hole in the roof, as He was leaving that house, He walked by a young man named Matthew. He didn't walk by, He saw him. And He invited Matthew to come follow Me, to become His disciples. As you look at the rest of chapter 9, you see that it happens again and again and again. Verse 18, while he was saying this, and the result of this interruption, a young girl is brought back to life. Verses 27 and 28 start the same way virtually. As he went on from there, in verse 28, and when he had gone indoors, and the result of this interruption, when he was interrupted again, two blind men could now see. In verse 32, while they were going out, another interruption And another man was delivered from demon oppression. Interruption after interruption after interruption. But Jesus saw them not as interruptions, but as a way to bless people in the name of His Father. That's just from two chapters. Just from two chapters. And the other gospel writers say the same thing. Can you see a pattern there? Can you see the pattern? It seems as though a lot... If not most of what Jesus did, what He accomplished during His ministry on earth, was while He was on His way to somewhere else. That's where His best work was done, in the middle of His agenda. Time after time, town after town, Jesus touched anyone with whom His life overlapped. He saw the big picture. Do you recall the video, a lot, I don't, I don't know what viral means, everybody has viral videos, but this video was seen by a lot of people several years ago, about six people, there were two teams, three people in white shirts, three people in black shirts, and they were passing a ball to each other, the white shirts to the white shirts, and the black shirts to the black shirts, and there were three of them just walking around in some kind of, a, not a real pattern, but just a kind of a random path, uh, passing the ball back and forth. And you were asked to count the times the white shirts passed it to the other white shirts. Do you, do you remember seeing that? It was all over the place. And, you, and so they started marching around. It only goes maybe 30 seconds or 40 seconds, something like that. So you start counting and you're studying what's going on. You're trying to follow them and you see them. And after about 30 or 40 seconds... The audio says, how many times did they pass the ball? And the answer is 16. Yeah, I got it. 16, what's so hard about that? And then the audio says, did you see the gorilla that walked across the stage? Oh, and by the way, he stopped on the stage and he beat his chest. 50%, 50%, it said 50% of the people that watched that video didn't even see the gorilla. Didn't even see the gorilla. Oh, and by the way, there were only three black shirts, three white shirts. One of the black shirts in the middle of the ball passing left the stage. So they weren't even there. And fewer people still noticed that. And the whole point is, we often only see what we're looking for. 
If we're looking at my agenda, if I'm looking at where I'm going, that's all I'm going to see. That illustration, by the way, is the monkey business illustration. You can look, check it out on YouTube if you want. Monkey business illustration. But please, not now. Not now, because there is audio. And if you do, we'll know it. We'll all know it. But if you're looking for a gorilla, you're, you're probably going to miss an opportunity. Jesus saw the big picture again. Time after time, in town after town, Jesus looked for and touched anyone with whom his life uh, overlapped. It's almost like those, and I, and I love this, it's almost like those anyone moments became his primary method of sharing his Father's power and uh, uh, love with the world. And, and you think about it, he didn't really travel very far in his life. The whole biblical country of Israel from Dan at the, at the northernmost port, uh, point and Beersheba in the southernmost point were only 150 miles apart. And that's where his ministry was contained. Now you and I can travel 150 miles and back easily in a day's time. Well, that's just a quick trip up to Fairmont to grab a great meal at Muriel's and back. Or if we want sunnier climates and warmer temperatures... We could take a drive down to Withful and get gas at the Flying J. You've all been to that Flying J, haven't you? You've all been there. But that's, and, and by, but, but that's, that's the, uh, the exception. We don't live 150 miles away or 1,000 miles away. We typically spend most of our life within 30 miles of our house. So thinking about that, because we spend most of our time right here, What's the hurry? Why are we in such a hurry? We can do better, can't we? We can do better at seeing the people that matter along the way. Let's look at the last section. We've looked at Matthew 8 and, and, and 9. The very last part of Matthew 9 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I suggest that if we're going to capitalize on these anyone moments, if we're going to effectively pray for anyone, we're going to have to make a couple of corrections in our spiritual eyesight. And the first is this. We're going to have to see people where they are. See people where they are. We just read verse 36, and once again it says, when he saw the crowds, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And those Greek words translated uh, helpless and, and, and uh, harassed could also be translated distressed and cast off. You see, compassion, Christ had compassion when he saw them, and that's that aching feeling deep down in your heart for someone or something. It's far more than a, oh, poor guy kind of thing. Compassion gets involved. 
It forces you to action. And they definitely had this look about them that said they were depressed, they were distressed, they were cast off. And I think there's a lot of people uh, like that today around us. Maybe people like that even among us. That's where so many people are. They're discouraged. They're down. They're in such an unbelievably tough position. Many of them feel lost. Last. Least. Looked over. Cast off. They've been told you're no good. You're a bad person. You're sick. You're a loser. And maybe they haven't heard the words, but they felt the attitude, a husband to a wife, or a wife to a husband, or a parent to a child, or a church to an outsider. You're no good. Go away. Unclean. You're a loser. It's modern leprosy. And it happens to you and me in a thousand ways Every day to the handicapped, to the sick, to the unattractive, to the aged, to the mentally handicapped, and to every one of us. And Jesus saw that crowd. They were helpless and harassed. I heard, and this, this is serious, I heard just a, a short while ago that the Japanese government re- recognized the, the struggles of some of the Japanese uh, uh, families they created a new government office called Ministry of, uh, of Loneliness. And I don't think their job is to create lonely people, but to help people dig out of the loneliness and depression that they're in. And in people, Jesus' day, the people were distressed. They were discouraged. They were cast off. And that just drew from Him compassion. And when we see people where they really are, the people that we cross paths with, I think we'll be able to understand their situation a little better. And I think we'll be able to get a better sense of the pain that they're in. Uh, and, And that's when we'll have an opportunity to share faith. And that's when we'll have an opportunity to pray for them. So we need to see people where they are. And the second correction of our spiritual vision is we need to see see ourselves as partners on mission with Jesus. Boy, what an invitation to be a partner with Jesus on His mission. Viewing this crowd, again, let's, let's set the stage. Let's do some level setting here. Jesus is seeing that crowd of people who are struggling, like, like sheep without a shepherd, distressed and discouraged. He sees them. And he has compassion. But I think he wasn't only seeing that crowd. I think with his divine vision, he was seeing all the struggling multitudes in the history of creation. Including us. Throughout all history. And so he tells his disciples they want to do something. He says to pray. 37 and 38 again of Matthew 9. He tells his disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. You know, when I picture that, and maybe you can too, you kind of picture all of these multitudes of people. And here's Jesus and some followers. And seeing the need and feeling the compassion, they may have been overwhelmed. Now, Jesus, I don't think, was overwhelmed. He's God, after all. But His disciples... Probably their emotions were a lot like Christ. Maybe they had that same kind of compassion. And Jesus saw that 
in them that compassion that wants to turn to action. They want to do something and they want to do something. So Jesus said, here's what you do. You pray. Pray for workers because the harvest fields, the harvest fields are ready to be harvested. And I want to suggest to you that you and I are those laborers that the disciples were to pray for. That's us. That's us. Because we're living in a society that's discouraged. Are we not? I mean, you look at all of the change, and it seems like things have crumbled in unimaginable ways. And if you're like me, your soul just longs for peace right now. I'm tired of all the, the turmoil and debate, the anger over politics and social tensions in the economy. Who's right, who's wrong, and who's to blame? There's everything to argue about. I, I heard about a, a couple, as if they didn't have enough to argue about. They were arguing about the age brackets for baby boomers, of all things. Why would you argue about that? But he had one idea, she had another. So they had to settle this debate. And they went to the legal source to find out what the official definition of a baby boomer is. And this is what it is. Legally, this is legally, any person that's a baby boomer is there to find us a person who when you say, surely, surely, Bo Burley, they respond... That wasn't a plant. <laughs> surely, surely, Bo Burley brings back banana fana furly. If you know that, if you say that, you're a baby boomer. That's you know you may not agree with that, but I'm. It, that's the legal definition. You know, we we can't debate that. But all the stuff that people do argue about, some of the senseless stuff. That people argue about. It's just, it's nuts that there's so little resolution. Because the things that are being fought about, debated about, and so uh, aggravating today are things that have been debated and fought about for years and years and years. I remember, and many of you do too, the race riots of the 60s. The Vietnam protest of the 60s. The inflation screaming of the 70s. And I think we're having many, many of those same debates and finger pointings of today. And there's no peace. It's not surprising because we've not made a lot of progress. And I don't think I'm the only one looking for peace. I don't think I'm the only one whose soul is thirsting for the Lord. I mean, many of you, most of you in this room feel the very same way. And the truth is that many of the people on the outside feel the same way. But here's the difference. The difference is that those of us in this place know in whom our hope is. We know who our hope is and who we are following. Those outside, they don't know. They have those same yearnings, but they don't know the hope of the world. They know what the world is dishing out right now and it's not satisfying. People are angry and bitter because this world is letting them down and they don't know how to express it any other way. And that tells me the fields are ripe for harvesting. And that's our purpose. 
That's why when we're saved, Jesus doesn't take us immediately to heaven. He leaves us here for our purpose to be a conduit of His love and His grace. And I know we could be overwhelmed with that thought. Uh, but I, I want you to get this. I really want you to get this. We're not here to get somewhere. We're not here to get somewhere. We're here to be a pipeline of God's love and His grace to anyone who crosses our path. And that can be overwhelming when we think, my goodness, that's my job and there's so much need. You can be overwhelmed. You can be overwhelmed. But it's, it's, it takes creativity. It takes determination. It takes acknowledgement that that is what God put us here for. And you can do it if you're intentional about it. One, one final illustration. Retired Pastor Bob Russell, you may, may have heard him speak, may have read some of his books, but just a great writer. On his blog recently, he wrote about a man who made some things happen in a very tough situation. Uh, a, a farmer wrote to his son in prison. And he said, son, I'm not going to plant potatoes this year. I just, I just cannot plow the field without your help. And the son wrote back, Dad, whatever you do, do not plow that field anyway. That's where I buried all the money I stole. Now the prison people read all the letters coming in and all the letters going out. So the very next day, they sent a van load of officers and they dug all over that field, dug it up from one side to the other, front to back, side to side, and they found nothing. Nothing. A couple of days later, the son wrote his dad. He says, Dad, you can plant those potatoes right now and we're just glad to be of service. But he says, Dad, that's the best I can do from here. That's the best I can do. And then Bob made, Bob Russell, that was his blog, he made, he made these statements. We can use difficult circumstances as an excuse for giving up or as a, a springboard to being creative, to being imaginative. A lot of times people don't want to hear the message we have, but if we can find creative ways, if we can find genuine ways of making them feel like they matter to us, because if they matter to God, they need to matter to us. And find ways to get that piece of, of faith in there. To get that witness of Christ in there. And say a prayer for the anyones that come across our path. So far in this series, all we're asking is for you to pray. Pray for one. And start by praying for everyone. And then begin to notice the people who cross your paths, overlaps yours, and start then by paying better attention to where they are spiritually and emotionally and begin praying for the anyones on your journey. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for sending someone to us when we were no one. But Lord, we were someone to you and you send a messenger to us. Lord, send us into the fields that we can be a messenger to where those fields are screaming for some news of hope, some news of, of connection, and Lord, ultimately, news of forgiveness. And that's only possible because of your Son. And God, we just thank you.
that you loved us that much. Help us to show that same love uh, to the people that our life overlaps with. God, lead us now in this time of uh, response. And if there are those that need to respond to you in some way, God, give them boldness, give them purpose, and give them movement, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we do respond uh, with our final song this morning, if there's a response that you need to make publicly, I'm going to be right over here to talk. Whatever, Whatever's on your heart, whatever next steps are, are important to you, uh, and even pray for you if that's, if that's what your heart desires. I'll be right over here, but we ask that you respond in the proper way as we sing this final song of invitation.